You're listening to Smarter Conservative Radio Show 29. Hey everybody, this is Patrick Ketchum, host of Smarter Conservative Radio. Thanks for being with us this week in this episode. We've got a lot to talk about today, so let's jump right into it with our history moment. As you may know, we're coming up on the President's Day weekend. In fact, we're in the President's Day weekend, right? It's Saturday. Tomorrow's Sunday. Monday is President's Day. So let's talk a little bit about that holiday. So many of you know that it actually started as President George Washington's birthday, uh, you know, a holiday in celebration of the day he was born, you know, the greatest president we've ever had, in my opinion. I, I think he's highly underrated uh, because he was just so great. He may not be the most relatable president we ever had, but he was the standard bearer and standard setter, and thank heavens that he was. And, and in fact, people were celebrating this day, his birthday, for years and years and years before it was a national holiday. It wasn't a national holiday until Rutherford B. Hayes made it so when he was president of the United States. So then it began to change a little bit. LBJ changed Washington's birthday to the third Monday in February and made similar adjustments to Memorial Day and Veterans Day to give federal employees five three-day weekends during the year. Okay, so obviously your birthday falls on a different day every year. So it was slightly inconvenient, and the federal government wanted to sort of make the holidays more uniform. If a holiday's on a Monday, it's easier to take a Monday off for employers or federal employers, banks, than it is to take a Wednesday off, right? We just have a three-day weekend, and it's more fun for the employees. And it also turns out that there's a lot of benefits to retailers. You may have heard commercials that sound like this for the last few days. Come on down for President, President, President Day sales. Only Monday, Monday only, Monday through Friday, Monday through Christmas. You'll have these terrific sales on your next Jetta. Hey, that was pretty good. Maybe I should do that full time. So with this change that LBJ made, George Washington's birthday began to fall even closer to Abraham Lincoln's birthday, which is on February 12th. And so Lincoln sort of started to edge in on Washington's territory. And some people started calling it Washington Lincoln Day, President's Day. Different states call it different things. But the truth is, and very few people know this, on the official federal calendar, it still says George Washington's birthday. It's sort of just this myth that we've all bought into that it's called President's Day. And in some states, it really is called President's Day. But in other states, it's sort of strange. You know, in I think it's in Alabama, they call it George Washington Thomas Jefferson Day. All right, so every state has its own thing. But the federal official holiday is George Washington's birthday. They just took his birthday and they changed it to a day that was convenient for them. And I'm not even sure they got his permission to do that. That's your history moment. All right, on to economics. You know, we had a debate a few weeks ago, and I didn't even, I don't think I talked about it on here on the podcast, between Bernie Sanders, a Democratic Socialist, according to him, just a Socialist, according to me, and Ted Cruz, who is very conservative, very classically liberal. And this is a debate that we've been having in this country more vigorously in the last hundred years, but really since Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels came up with this theory of what became communism in the mid-19th century. And so I want to play this interview from Milton Friedman, who was on the Phil Donahue show. Milton Friedman is such a cool little guy. I say little because he was like five foot two, right? If you ever saw him next to any other human being, he looked like a hobbit. But short 
really nice, really funny, wicked smart economist. And he died in his 90s, just uh, 10 years ago or so. But he talks to, to Phil Donahue about capitalism versus Marxism versus communism, or really versus any other system out there. So listen. When you see around the globe the maldistribution of wealth, the, the desperate plight of millions of people in underdeveloped countries, uh, when you see so few haves and so many have-nots, when you, when you see the greed and the concentration of power within, don't, aren't you ever, did you ever have a moment of doubt about capitalism and whether greed's a good idea to run on? Well, first of all, tell me, is there some society you know that doesn't run on greed? You think Russia doesn't run on greed? You think China doesn't run on greed? What is greed? Of course, none of us are greedy. It's only the other fellow who's greedy. <laughs> This, the world runs on individuals pursuing their separate interests. The great achievements of civilization have not come from government bureaus. Einstein didn't construct his theory under order from a, from a, a bureaucrat. Henry Ford didn't revolutionize the automobile industry that way. In the only cases in which the masses have escaped from the kind of grinding poverty you're talking about, the only cases in recorded history, or where they, where they have had capitalism and largely free trade. If you want to know where the masses are worth, worse off, worst off, it's exactly in the kinds of societies that depart from that. So that the record of history is absolutely crystal clear, that there is no alternative way so far discovered of improving the lot of the ordinary people that can hold a candle to the productive activities that are unleashed by a free enterprise system. But it seems to reward not virtue as much as ability to manipulate the system. And what does reward virtue? You think the uh, communist commissar rewards virtue? You think a Hitler rewards virtue? You think, excuse me, if you'll pardon me, do you think American presidents reward virtue? Do they choose their appointees on the basis of the virtue of the people appointed or on the basis of their political clout? Is it really true that political self-interest is nobler somehow than economic self-interest? You know, I think you're taking a lot of things for granted. And just tell me where in the world you find these angels who are going to organize society for us. Well, I don't even trust you to do that. All right, this is the argument that we need to have, that we need to understand, because capitalism is being attacked every day, day in, day out, when really all it is is its freedom. It's freedom to do what you want. It's freedom of commerce. You know, most of us spend at least 40 hours a week working, and we spend so many other hours buying. Almost your entire life is dedicated to economics, either producing or consuming. And this is the arena where freedoms are being challenged most frequently. So this is an argument we need to have, and a great example from Milton Friedman on how to take on these issues. All right, let's move on to the news of this week. First, Michael Flynn... Donald Trump's national security advisor got the old boot this week. All right, so supposedly what happened was Michael Flynn, who was a general, General Flynn, uh, had a conversation with a Russian ambassador to the United States on the day, you remember back in December when President Obama uh, kicked out like 35 Russian diplomats and put some sanctions on Russia for uh, interfering in the elections when... When you say interfere in the election, these thoughts of, you know, Russian spies standing at voting booths and holding up a pistol to someone's head and saying, telling them to vote for Trump comes comes to mind. Really what it is is they hacked into some emails 
of some important Democrats and release them. Did that change the outcome of the election? Probably not. Probably not. But anyway, Obama put these sanctions on, and that day, supposedly, General Flynn talked to the ambassador to America from Russia and said, eh, the, uh, the sanctions, eh, maybe, maybe, maybe they'll go away when, uh, when Donald Trump becomes president. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't have to worry about him too long. And, that's, and then we saw that Russia didn't respond to the sanctions, right? Russia is famous for their quick and dramatic responses to any censure that comes from another, another country, right? They, they, they come back with their own sanctions or whatever. They had no response. And so a lot of people are saying maybe he made a deal with his ambassador, uh, or maybe he just said, you know, we're, we're probably not going to keep those, which is totally fine, which is fine. And Charles Krauthammer ex- from Fox News explains this. Well, what strikes me is how bizarre the whole story is. This is a cover-up without a crime. The idea that one should uh, be all aghast because the incoming national security advisor spoke with the Russian ambassador and spoke about sanctions seems to me to be perfectly reasonable. The idea that it was illegal is preposterous. When I hear Nancy Pelosi get all upset about this and how in the grip of the Russians this shows us to be, this is an absurdity. But then you ask yourself, well, then why did he lie about it? even internally in talking to the vice president. And that shows a tremendous lapse of judgment and a, a sort of a, a lack of trustworthiness. So the president is faced with a very difficult problem. If he fires him, then it puts in question the president's own judgment, choosing him in the first place, having to fire him in within three weeks. On the other hand, this is a guy who has been advising him, stuck with him, has appeared to have done the right thing in talking with the Russian ambassador and done a crazy thing in lying about it to Pence. And he's got to decide how it's going to look. Either way, it's going to be, he's going to be hurt. But if he is going to get rid of him, he'd better have somebody of stature waiting in the wings. All right, but the big problem is here is that he lied to Mike Pence about this, right? The, the, the conversation itself was fine. He was about to be the national security advisor for the president of the United States. He should be talking to other countries. In fact, Donald Trump said publicly, I didn't tell him to have this conversation with the Russian ambassador to the United States, but I would have if I, if I didn't think he was already doing it, right? This is the conversation that he should be having because he's about to be in charge of a lot of these things and in the middle of them. And so a lot of people are saying, you know, this is not right because of the Logan Act and, and whatever. But honestly, the First Amendment says we have a right to free speech. If you can't talk to anybody in the world um, anytime you want, uh, what does the freedom of speech even mean, right? We have the freedom of speech. He, it was totally fine that he did it. But he lied to Mike Pence about it, and he probably lied to Donald Trump about it. And Donald Trump also insinuated that there were other issues that he was having with General Flynn. Personally, I'm very happy about this. Uh, General Flynn is just kind of a weird guy. I think the reason he got the post was because he was so loyal to Donald Trump and was a supporter of Donald Trump for months and months and months and went to all of his campaign rallies. And, you know, he was the one at the convention, the, the RNC was saying, who started the, champ, lo- the chant, lock her up, lock her up, supposedly. That was him. And so he also has some conspiracy theory history that's kind of weird. His son is the one who came up with the idea that Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, were running some kind of child slavery uh, thing in Washington, D.C. out of a pizza parlor. This is stuff that Mike Flynn and and his family kind of subscribe to. He's a weirdo, 
All right, so I'm on top of that, he's a Democrat. He's a lifelong Democrat. So I'm very happy to push that guy out of the administration um, and, and to bring in someone who is more confident, less volatile. Right. So the, the only problem here is the only and I wouldn't call it a smoking gun, but the only question we're left with is why did Trump fire him? Why did why did he get fired? If he didn't do something that was worth worthy of being fired. Right. He didn't break any law. It was fine. Um, and he lied to the pre- the vice president, Mike Pence. And then, but then Mike Pence came out and said something on TV that wasn't actually true because because Flynn had lied to him. Eh, I, I don't know if that's the biggest deal in the world. These guys are under a lot of pressure. They're getting a lot of secret intelligence all the time. And so a little white lie, he probably could have apologized to Mike Pence about that, and it would have been fine. There's probably something else going on. Uh, Trump alluded to that, that there had been more issues that they had been taking under consideration for the last several weeks. And so it was probably something else. The media wants us to think that Flynn was the, you know, the, the head agent for Trump making deals with the Russians in order to infiltrate the DNC and release secrets so that the Trump would become president of the United States and uh, act as a puppet for Putin. You know, this kind of, there's no evidence of that. I'm guessing that Trump just realized, you know, this guy's kind of a, kind of a jerk. And so if I can have any pretense for kicking him out, I'm going to take it. And so that is the, uh, the Michael Flynn episode. There's more to it, but what I really want to do is move on to this visit from Benjamin Netanyahu the Prime Minister of Israel, to the United States in this joint press conference that he had with Donald Trump. As far as settlements, I'd like to see you hold back on settlements for a little bit. Uh, We'll uh, work something out, but I would like to see a deal be made. I think a deal will be made. All right, so this is pretty important. Trump says here, he, 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 he seems to sort of chide Bibi Netanyahu for building additional settlements on the West Bank. Right and says, "May hey, why don't, why don't you just hold off?" You notice his language there. It wasn't. It was very. It was very deliberate. Right. It was very deliberate. It wasn't. Hey, get the heck out of the West. Settle, stop building settlements. What is wrong with you people? He's saying, "Hey, I'd like you to think about not doing that anymore." And a lot of people have suggested that this is Trump's way. It wasn't a censure. It was not a censure. He was not criticizing Bibi Netanyahu or Israel. He was trying to give Netanyahu a way out because many of his fellow countrymen in Israel are pushing and pushing and pushing for more settlements, right? And so that's Trump's way of saying, hey, lay off. And, and maybe that'll assuage some of the harder conservatives in Israel to sort of lay off Bibi Netanyahu, and maybe we can find some peace. And speaking of that peace, for more than 15 years, the U.S. has pursued a policy what they call the two-state solution in Israel, of Israel and Palestine. First of all, these are very small countries, all right? A few million, I, I think Palestine has like 1.5 million people. All right, so we're, we're talking about a place that's like half the size of Utah. As far as population, that is teeny tiny, right? This is, this is like uh, Delaware, okay? We're talking about a place the size of Delaware, and we're talking about it all the time. Because it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a country, it's a nation run by radicals, run by Hamas, who are a group of terrorists. And so the two-state solution, which... The U.S. has been pushing for more than a decade is that, you know, these two states, these two flags coexist in this region of the world. They stop fighting, they define their boundaries, and they exist together, right? Because some of their boundaries are overlapping and so forth. So Trump comes out and he says, hey, listen, if we want to do it, if the two-state solution works, it works great. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work great. I don't care. I just want peace. 
This is a big deviation, and a lot of people are giving a very hard time about this. But this is part of Trump's style, right? He, he, he wants a solution. He's a big picture guy. His son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is the same way. They're big picture people, right? What are they going to say after this is all done? What is the headline of this story going to be? Is it going to be good? Is there going to be peace? Or is it going to be there's still problems in this sector section of the world? I just want to know the big picture. Does it work? Did the agreement work? Did it not work? I don't care if it's two state. I don't care if it's one state. Whatever we have to do to get peace in this region of the world. And so Bibi Netanyahu starts talking about a regional compact. Because countries around that area, they recognize, they, even though they hate Jews, right? They hate Israel. Palestinians are freaking crazy, right? They know that. And so they're going to look for a regional solution, and, uh, and hopefully they can pull this off. If anyone can, the uh, master negotiator probably can. You know, Clinton's tried, Bush has tried, Kerry's tried, and uh, it hasn't worked yet. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, next on our agenda, <clears throat> Donald Trump's conference with the press, known as a press conference. He had lots of these. He had lots of these during his campaign. Remember how Hillary had like one in 18 months? She waited more than a year to have a press conference because she could not stand being in front of the press. Trump doesn't care. He loves it. He seems to be having a great time when he's up there in front of the press. Listen to this. The press has become so dishonest that if we don't talk about it, we are doing a tremendous disservice to the American people. This administration is running like a fine-tuned machine, despite the fact that I can't get my cabinet approved. Well, the leaks are real. You're the one that wrote about them and reported them. I mean, the leaks are real. You know what they said. You saw it. And the leaks are absolutely real. The, the news is fake because so much of the news is fake. I won with news conference and probably speeches. I certainly didn't win by people listening to you people. That's for sure. But I'm having a good time. Tomorrow they will say, Donald Trump rants and raves at the press. I'm not ranting and raving. I'm just telling you, you know, you're dishonest people. But, but, I'm not ranting and raving. I love this. I'm having a good time doing it. All right, then he has this little exchange with Jim Acosta from CNN. Should oh, I let him have this, a little bit more? What, what do you think, Peter? Yeah? This, Peter, I should just, I have a, let him have a little bit more? This, sit down. The, sit down. Just, we'll, just, we'll because the, we'll get just because of the attack of fake news and, and uh, attacking our network, I, I just want to ask you, sir. I'm changing it from fake news, though. Doesn't that under Very fake news. I know, but aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) That's one of my favorite lines from Donald Trump so far. Let's finish up with a few more highlights. I've done nothing for Russia. Hillary Clinton gave him 20% of our uranium. Hillary Clinton did a reset. Remember with the stupid plastic button that made us all look like a bunch of jerks? Here, take a look. He looked at her like, what the hell is she doing with that cheap plastic button? The greatest thing I could do is shoot that ship that's 30 miles offshore right out of the water. Everyone in this country is going to say, oh, it's so great. That's not great. You mentioned the vessel, the spy vessel off the coast of the United States. Not good. There was a ballistic missile test that many interpreted not as a violation good. of an agreement good. between the two countries and a Russian plane buzzed a U.S. destroyer. Not good. Wait a minute. I don't have to tell you what I'm going to do in North Korea. And I don't have to tell you what I'm going to do with Iran. You know why? Because they shouldn't know. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Um, the travel, Where are you from? Uh, BBC. Okay. Here's another beauty. It's a good line. Impartial, free and fair. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, Mr. President. Just like CNN, right? 
Just so you understand, we had a totally divided country for eight years and long before that. And I am going to try, I will do everything within my power to fix that. I want to thank everybody very much. All right, so after this press conference, after this press conference, you know, Trump says in there, you know, you're going to come out tomorrow and say, I was ranting and raving, and that's exactly what the media did. (laughs) Trump knows the media so well. In fact, John King, he comes out and he says, you know, you know, conservative outlets, obviously talking about Fox News, conservative outlets need to be harsher on Donald Trump and ask him real tough questions because it's only going to be to his benefit. So here's what he said. Well, it would be nice. It would be nice uh, if the conservative outlets the president is calling on would ask him tough questions. And they would actually, instead of trying to curry favor with this president, they might do him a, do him a favor by letting him answer these questions, because until he answers these questions, this story is not going away. All right. But he's obviously forgetting. <laughs> he's obviously forgetting what was asked of President Obama during his tenure. He never had he never had hard questions, right? He had one hard question about Iran and the 400 million in cash that was delivered to Iran, which was a huge deal. It was a big deal and and and, and Obama got one question about it. You remember that was Major Garrett from CBS. He came out and asked President Obama, "Was this appropriate? You know, this you didn't exchange these. With the, Iran still has these prisoners. If you were going to make this exchange, why didn't we get any prisoners back?" And Obama was so offended. He was so offended. He could not believe that he was being questioned like that. I mean, let's just be consistent with this stuff. So here's a clip from a guy who used to work for the New York Times. This was a hundred days into the Obama White House. And this guy, by the way, he went on to work for CNN, (laughs) who Trump would call the very fake news network. Uh, So this guy asks him this very hard-hitting question to President Obama. During these first 100 days, what has surprised you the most about this office, enchanted you the most about serving in this office, humbled you the most, and troubled you the most? Now, let me write this down. Uh, Troubled. I've got, uh, what, what was the first one? Surprise. Surprise. Troubled. Troubled. Enchanted. Enchanted. Nice. And humbled. All right, so it's just ridiculous to compare the questions that Fox News is asking Obama compared to everyone else. Everyone was soft on Obama during his tenure. And uh, the fact that Donald Trump is hitting back because he's not getting even close to the amount of respect or fair treatment is not surprising. It's just not surprising. All right. Trump just had a rally in Florida, right? He went down and did this rally, and it was huge. It was huge. And, you know, I'm watching this video. He's all comfortable up there. He's not wearing a tie. You know, he's he's down at his home in Mar-a-Lago. He's got this beautiful mansion. They're coming, this southern White House, pretty much. He goes there every weekend to just relax. And so while he's in Florida, he gives this big rally, a campaign-style rally, where he talks about different stuff that's going on in the country. Here's a small clip. And I want to be here with you, and I will always be with you. I promise you that. I want to be in a room filled with hardworking American patriots who love their country, who salute their flag, and who pray for a better future. I also want to speak to you without the filter of the fake news. The dishonest media 
which has published one false story after another with no sources, even though they pretend they have them, they make them up in many cases. They just don't want to report the truth, and they've been calling us wrong now for two years. They don't get it, but they're starting to get it. I can tell you that. They've become a big part of the problem. They are part of the corrupt system. Thomas Jefferson, Andrew Jackson, and Abraham Lincoln, and many of our greatest presidents fought with the media and called them out, oftentimes, on their lies. When the media lies to people, I will never, ever let them get away with it. I will do whatever I can that they don't get away with it. They have their own agenda, and their agenda is not your agenda. In fact, Thomas Jefferson said, nothing can be believed which is seen in a newspaper. Truth itself, he said, becomes suspicious by being put into that polluted vehicle. That was June 14th, my birthday, 1807. But despite all their lies, misrepresentations, and false stories, they could not defeat us in the primaries, and they could not defeat us in the general election, and we will continue to expose them for what they are, and most importantly, we will continue to win, win, win. We are not going to let the fake news tell us what to do, how to live, or what to believe. We are free and independent people, and we will make our own choices. All right, so Trump obviously having a lot of fun in his rally, getting around his supporters again. Let's let's go to, I want to do this new thing where we go and, and just check out Trump's Twitter feed, right? So this Twitter feed is basically a newsmaker. News outlets are just going to his Twitter feed to figure out what they're going to say every night when they do the news. And so let's check out some of the latest tweets from Donald Trump. This one made pretty big news actually yesterday, uh, February 17th, the fake news, all caps, media, and then he names them, failing New York Times, NBC News, ABC, CBS, and CNN is not my enemy, Trump says. It is the enemy of the American people. All right, first of all, media is plural, so it wouldn't be it. It would be they are the enemy of the American people. Anyway, I, I make that mistake all the time. All right, so this is pretty interesting and pretty dramatic, and, 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 the, and the news media, of course, are covering this a lot because he is driving a wedge straight between the people and the media so that he can get in there, right? There was a poll release just the other day showing that Trump is two points more trustworthy, according to the American people, than the news outlets are. This wasn't always the case. This wasn't always the case. 30 years ago, when the news used to be boring, you know, when there wasn't shiny lights and loud sounds and all this different stuff, people actually trusted what they heard. You know, when they saw there were three channels and they went to one of the channels and they heard the nightly news, they generally trusted it. But now... Now the, that trust has been broken. And that's, I think that's why Trump gave that little quote from, uh, from Jefferson. The, tr- the press shouldn't be the friend of the politician, 
but it also shouldn't pick sides. It shouldn't be nice to one political party and unfair or lie about the other one. And the favoritism is just so clear to the American people. Right, let's go to another tweet. One of the most effective press conferences I've ever seen, says Rush Limbaugh. Many agree, yet fake media calls it differently. Dishonest. All right, classic Donald Trump. Uh, then he says, don't believe the mainstream fake news media. The White House is running very well. I inherited a mess and am in the process of fixing it. So this is Trump's big thing. Obama talked for four years, almost eight. You know, he, he really carried it into the second term as well until the bitter end. He was talking about the terrible situation he inherited when he became president. And in all fairness to Barack Obama, yeah, we were going through a meltdown when he became president and he made it worse, right? He didn't help the recovery. He slowed it down, just like FDR did, and we've talked about that at other times. It's not, the answer is not to expand the federal government. The answer is to unleash the private sector when the economy is failing. All right, so his last tweet was getting ready for, to leave for Melbourne, Florida. See you all soon. And that was before the, uh, the event today. And so, hey, he's having a good time on Twitter. This guy's got 25.2 million Twitter followers. Is that the most? All right, enough of tweets. Let's jump to my recommendation for the week. Okay, so my brother bought me a DVD for my birthday, and it was Willow, right? And I had forgotten how much I liked this movie. I grew up, you know, with my cousins on Saturdays. We would uh, we'd play, stay up all night the night before playing games, playing video games, playing card games, whatever. And we'd get up the next day, you know, at noon, and we'd uh, turn Willow on or a movie like that. You know, this is a great late 80s movie. I'm a 90s baby, but I watched these great 80s movies. And this was actually produced and written by George Lucas. It came out in 88, right? The New Hope, A New Hope, the Star Wars, the original Star Wars movie came out in 1977. So 11 years later, George Lucas produces and writes this movie called Willow. Now, I think he's kind of ashamed of it now. I never hear, hear him talking about it, but honestly, I think this was the zenith of George Lucas's career. This is one of the great movies of the 20th century. It's, it's a weird movie, but I think it's really good. It was directed by Ron Howard or Little Opie. So it's this, it's this cool story. It's an epic story, but it's also very funny, very quirky. It's about this little guy, this little character in fact, it reminds me a lot of The Hobbit, this little uh, midget with uh, long, shaggy hair. Um, but he, he goes and he has to save uh, a princess and save the world, and he, he runs into friends and adventures along the way. So this is, here's, this here's a clip where he first meets Val Kilmer, who's going to become sort of his friend and a protector during this movie. But he's, he finds him hanging in his cage outside where he's left to die because he did something horrible. And so he, this is his interaction with Val Kilmer. Well, that was really stupid, Peck. Don't call me a Peck. Oh, I'm sorry. Peck. Peck. Peck, 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 Peck. You be careful. I am a powerful sorcerer. See this acorn? I'll throw it at you and turn you to stone. Ooh. I'm really scared. No, don't. Don't. There's a, a Peck here with an acorn pointed at me. I wouldn't want to waste it. Ha! All right, really funny movie. Again, if you haven't seen Willow, go go see it. I, I don't know where you can get it. My brother got me a DVD that he ordered online. I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere, but if you can see it, if you like Star Wars, you owe it to George Lucas to see this film. 
help the legend live on. All right, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, if you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It really helps us out and share this show with your friends. We've been getting a lot of traction lately, and we really appreciate it. Until next week, I'm Patrick Ketchum. See ya.